I am your father. This is a Brandon Colby Jacobs from Facebook exclusive. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Touche, my nigga. Touche. I say greetings and salutations. I am your boy, Brandon Kobe Jacobs, and you are listening to the Established 1984 podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners who have been listening since episode one. We are on episode three. Can you believe it? It's crazy. It's crazy that we've gotten this much content this soon. I'm excited about everything that we're doing. I'm excited about the reception that the podcast has received. And I'm just excited to continue to give you guys great quality content and and really just kind of impact uh, in a very positive way. On this episode, on this third episode of the Established 1984 podcast, I'm going to have two guys on here who I haven't talked to in probably about a year with them together. Um, talk to them separately all the time, but just probably about a year that we've actually all been on the phone together. Um, my two business partners from New Blood Entertainment and Watts LLC uh, Pat Benoit and Roger Ryder. Now, what you're going to get to hear on here and what I encourage you to really kind of delve into, maybe pause a little bit and back up, is you're going to see a lot of banter go on because you're listening to three friends talk. But more than anything, I want uh, for young people who are interested in getting into the industry to kind of get a sense of what it's like for people to 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 work together and what it was like uh, in the development, in the, the infancy stages of our organization and what it took to be successful. You're going to hear a whole lot of the word work. <laughs> and uh, for those of you that are interested in being in the industry, we're going to delve into the kind of work that's involved in trying to be successful in this industry. So I don't want to hold this up too long. I don't want to do a long uh, comment and, and, and intro. So here it is, man. Episode three, Roger Ryder, Pat Benoit, Brandon Jacobs for the first time in well over a year talking about New Blood Entertainment and Watts. Enjoy, guys. Yo, what it do, what it is, man. It's your boy, Brandon Kobe Jacobs. You are listening to the Established 1984 podcast. Once again, I am your host, Brandon Kobe Jacobs. And today, man, I have two guys that y'all have heard me say this a million times that I respect everybody that comes on the podcast but these two guys I, I hold near and dear to my heart I can truly say these are these are guys that I love and respect because I value them as friends we've been friends for well over a decade now um, one of these people I've been friends with maybe about a year and a half to two years longer than the other but even still we have done some amazing work together I'm proud to have done business with these gentlemen over the years I'm proud to call them my friends I know the next time I get married, these two guys will be in my wedding. I have Pat Benoit and I have Roger Ryder, co-owners of New Blood Entertainment and Watts LLC with me. Gentlemen, how are you? How are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Bravo. I love it, I love it, I love it. Yo, man, it's crazy because, I mean, I don't think we've, I think what's probably going to surprise some people who know us would think that we just talk all the time, but we don't because we're always all kind of working and doing our own thing. So, Roger, Pat, when is the last time we've talked? I mean, it, it's probably been about at least over a year. Yeah, together. Yeah, yeah. It's been over a year. Yeah, we've talked individually to each other, but not together. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's been a while, it's been a while. Yeah, but great to hear from you guys. I, I know both of you are doing very well, and I'm sure we'll get an opportunity to talk about what you're doing now. 
But um, I wanted to get you guys on the podcast for a variety of reasons. I think that a lot of people know, like people who are listeners to my podcast, who have followed my website, things like that. They know what New Blood Entertainment is and they know what Watts LLC is. A lot of people, um, you know, especially those who kind of follow me from the Brandon Kobe Jacobs from Facebook or from the Boss Hog perspective, um, are more likely to identify our companies as something that was just Jacksonville based and they're not familiar. And Roger, I want you to jump on this uh, as to what exactly our organization was doing prior to coming to Jacksonville, prior to having uh, people like Miss Innocence, Latoya, Damon Downing and all those other folks that some people may identify with. So, Roger, can you kind of speak to what we were in our infancy, how you and I met and how we go about starting to do business together? Yeah, I mean, basically, uh, from my recollection, at least, um, like uh, I was, I was already getting into music, and uh, we actually met each other um, at the radio station at Cumulus, I believe, right? Yeah. That, that's that's where we first met, right? Yeah, I think so. I think it was Cumulus. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. We might have met before, but we definitely connected more at the radio station. And um, I myself was was always into marketing, which is what's led into what I'm doing today as well. But um, basically, just to create a new ground and a new way of um, uh, marketing and promoting towards the audiences that we're trying to go after. Um, but essentially, we connected initially just through music. Mm-hmm. Um, and it started at the radio station first. Um, also, as well as like we, we worked with different artists at the same time. But honestly, I would say the core of it was just it started off with music. And, uh, and it just led with us trying to create our own path uh, in the music slash marketing world. Okay. Now, I, I remember I remember that we had, um, and I, I want to take a second and recognize a, a fourth person who plays a tremendous role in, uh, in New Blood Entertainment and, and technically has to be recognized as a fourth uh, co-owner or co-founder, uh, Gerilyn Eckhoff. Um, we haven't spoken, uh, I, I mean, Roger, I don't know if you've spoken to Gerilyn in years, but I, I know I haven't spoken to her in years. Um, the business didn't fall, fell, kind of fell apart in a way that I think that maybe could have been handled better, uh, better, uh, if we had been a bit older and a bit more mature from your perspective, can you just kind of talk briefly about, uh, what Gerilyn contributed into the early years of new blood entertainment and what, her role kind of meant in the very beginning to getting us off the ground. Yeah, I mean, basically, actually, all three of us connected uh, in at the, actually the same concept uh, as far as at the station and moving stuff together. Uh, I always thought she was very passionate and uh, very aggressive with everything she wanted to do as far as her goals, uh, from parties we were throwing to different form of events and marketing. Uh, honestly, I think it was just uh, a lot of miscommunication. Um, more on, on your guys' sides. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, you know, I, I always I always stayed level-headed and didn't really get too involved in any disagreements. But, I mean, I thought it was good. It's just, uh, it just a miscommunication. But, you know, it's growing pains for sure. Um, stuff could, could have been different on, on your side. Stuff could have been different on her side. And myself, maybe I could have done something to clarify some communication. But, uh, I always chose to just, you know, not get too involved with any disagreements, especially if I didn't know anything about it. Right. I mean, I feel even today you shouldn't do that because it's just, you step into something that you, you're not aware of all, all the facts, like you just come across being ignorant. Right. So. 
I got you. So I, I think that we, I think probably in the fall of 2004, there was no New Blood Entertainment just yet. Um, you and I were doing a lot of a lot of promotions together. I don't even think that we had formally like you know done anything with Seymour or anything like that at that juncture. We were just specifically Seymour working. Thompson. You say what? Seymour Thompson. Yeah, Seymour Thompson. Big we, Daddy Shay. <laughs> we'll get tonight. The night right. We're definitely going to get to Seymour in a second, but. We, 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 we didn't do a whole lot together, but the funny thing is is that there's one photo that I think that most people identify as an iconic representation of, of you and I's relationship with each other. The photo from TJ's DJs where you're just kind of standing there like, I'm happy to be here. I'm standing there with a Bluetooth in my ear with a complete attitude. I don't know. Do you remember that photo? Uh, I do, actually. I was wearing a brown t-shirt. <laughs> with like, some gray or black pants. What what is that? What do you think that photo kind of represents? Because I think that that was we were doing stuff for uh, the radio station that night, but it just so happened to be during Homecoming, as uh, Urban Legend had been released, or I think it was about to be released, and uh, you know Ti had performed at, at the Homecoming concert, Fat Joe had performed at the Homecoming concert. I know all the stuff is in my book, um, and and we had to do that, uh, and we had to do that uh, that that event at the Moon. What, what do you think that photo kind of represents about about our relationship with each other? Do, do you feel like it says anything? I mean, uh, I mean, I, I uh, honestly, I, like, I can't recollect exactly what happened that day, but I am very familiar with that picture because it was, it was a moment in time for both of us when we were when we got together and worked and uh, basically uh, worked together on one common goal that united us. You know, we came from two different backgrounds. Right. Right. And and, oh. and I think that that's something that 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 everybody doesn't understand. I think a lot of times people go, "How in the world are those two guys friends?" I mean, you, yeah, I mean, just just can you describe your background and your ethnicity and all of that kind of stuff so people can kind of get a perspective on that? Uh, I'm from the Caribbean, which even people might not know now. Uh, from an island called Curacao, and uh, basically moved to the states, moved to Oak Ridge, Tallahassee. Jewish community. I'm Jewish. <laughs> and, um, I'm also mixed Hispanic, so as well. But, uh, yeah, basically, um, I mean, I've always had a passion for, for. Uh, actually, I love all music. Period. Like that's ironic because I, I was really into rock when I was a kid, and uh, basically, uh, I can't remember what year in high school, but one of my friends was really into rock, and now he's super into rock. But he was into hip hop. He put on a DG's album had Bling Bling on it, and the rest is history. It's that kind of hip hop. Uh, but I mean, I just got to reggae. I mean, everything. But you know, but uh, that's basically what led into when I got to Tallahassee. Was just bumping into a lot of people. Uh, I bumped into you. I bumped into uh, David Turk, who was DJ Turk at the time, who was also interning at right. the station. Right. Right. Um, Sanjay, I think, was there too at the time. Yeah, there's a lot of people, and then, uh, but yeah, we just connected and we worked. And it's just ironic because lately now, like, um, my music tastes have changed. Even though I'm not even that old, but uh, I'm listening. You know, I'm listening to a lot more older music that's just more uh, uh, calming, defining. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really old music, actually. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll listen to hip hop now, but uh, you know, I don't know. Whatever. We just wanted to 
like uh, it's just it was a moment in time for me, you know. And I, I really was was really passionate about hip hop at the time, uh, and, I, and I still do love it. But uh, I think that's just really what got us going. Okay, so we, there, there comes a point where we realize that we're being given flyers by the promotion department for Blazing One Hundred Two Point Three, and and they're doing their job. So by no stretch of the imagination is this kind of a slight on them. But we just saw it as a situation where we're passing out all of this stuff for free. Why can't we get paid for it? And I think that that was a conversation. I don't I'm sure it wasn't some formal sit down meeting where we sat down and had a conversation about it. I think it just sort of evolved organically between you, myself and, and Geraldine. And we and we come to a conclusion that we need to do something. Now, I know that I went and did the paperwork and I can tell you the day it was January 27, 2005. Um I go down to the uh, I go down to the the courthouse or the the, the 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 formal state building or whatever, and I file uh, the paperwork for a sole proprietorship for New Blood Entertainment. Um, once we get the once we get the name and we get all that stuff going, how does how does the ball get rolling for us? Because I don't really remember because it all starts to kind of be a blur. You know, I, I had a whole lot that I was doing as. You know, we we've discussed there was a whole lot of drinking and and and, and drugs going on on my end. But how do we how do we get the ball rolling to where we started to create that visibility for ourselves? I mean, basically, um, like uh, from what I remember, honestly, like I always, I mean, just going back to him, I always kind of like followed Seymour. So he, not necessarily just when we, if we ever worked with him, but even just seeing what he did, mm-hmm. because one thing I always knew uh, within the market. Is I was I was someone who was stuck between like paying attention to what the old school was doing, and also trying to come up with new ways of doing things. And actually, right around the same time when we were first meeting, um, like when I was at FSU, there was these guys that were promoting parties, and uh, basically everyone was passing out flyers all the time, you know. And it was cool; the parties were good, but then they'd flop or they do well, and then you had to promote it all over again. I thought that was really stupid, because uh, at the same because at the same time there was a there was a platform called uh, AOL's Messenger. Mm-hmm. You know that everyone might or might not remember. Facebook Messenger. That's the first social media. Yeah, that that, that, yeah, the, that and then MySpace. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was, it was actually before MySpace, and basically it was before MySpace. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Although MySpace existed when this occurred, and basically uh, Facebook did not. And basically, uh, um, I, uh, I was promoting, I started promoting this bot, you know, this, this account and we built a huge following and we're literally tons of people became friends with it. And what we did is rather than promote the party, we'd promote the, the bot itself. And then like every week, wherever we were having a party, we would list it the away message. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was fun and it was cool, but then as kids, we started this thing called College Party Central, which became big at FSC at the time. But a lot of people I was working with weren't really, uh, like, focused. Right. And then, uh, and then later when I met up with you, we, we started working on really hip-hop and everything. And then uh, and I just wanted to get more into that sector. And we met different people, but Seymour, I remember, I just followed him because as far as the grassroots marketing outside of digital, he always seemed to have a blueprint and I believe in like educating myself through others and not just 
making assumptions because the fact is we were young. I knew we were young. I knew we didn't know what we were supposed to do or how to do it. So we always try to adapt. And, and basically, I remember when we first started, we were, um, I, even myself, I, I believe I networked with different um, business owners to see if we could promote for them. We connected with club promoters to help them. Uh, and we would charge little fees. Right. And, uh, and then we just started bringing the company as a whole. Uh, and also at the time, uh, like later on, not that early, but later on, probably like a year into us working together, uh, you know, I even had an artist and later two artists we'd worked with to push. But then we even started pushing other artists, you know, that had no affiliation right. uh, with us directly, like including uh, Young Cash from Jacksonville. Uh, several times he would come and drop off promotional items and CDs and I would make sure it was distributed everywhere, right. you know. So we, um, we go yeah. from we go from that. I think that some of our beginning work was we got I think we got a shout out. Uh, we definitely have to shout out DJ Dimp, um, you know, because I think we did a lot of work with him early on. Um, I mean, uh, I think that um, DJ Nasty out of Miami, because I know that there's two DJ Nasties, right? There's the one that yeah. we, that was from Tallahassee. And then there's another one, right? In Orlando. OK. And then there's another one in Orlando. So. The DJ Nasty that is now in Miami was the one who used to do what was the name of the club? Chubbies? That's Chubby. right. Yeah. Chubby. He did Chubbies and we used to do promotions with him and for him and things like that. And then um I know that we, we had uh, I probably one of our most recognizable moments very early on was uh and I think that this is this is someone that, that both myself, Roger and Pat all share as sort of like a mentor, someone who helped us along the way. Um, actually my first interview was with Keith, uh, Keith Kennedy. And, um, I think that we all, uh, and, you know, respect him and he helped us in a lot of positive ways. Can we, can you guys all speak to kind of how Keith has not just helped us as new blood entertainment, but us as individuals in our own personal goals in the industry? Well, I mean, follow me what Keith done for me since he was working with TJ, DJ, he was TJ's right hand man. Um, you know, running all his operations behind the scenes. I mean, he taught me, I mean, even though we were in such a hectic and crazy industry, he taught me how to be polite to people at the same time. And also be punctual, make sure you're always professional at all times, and enjoy it. Because he was, I mean, he was really passionate in what he did. He was more of a writer, he was more of a PR guy, but then again, he was passionate in what he did. And he always kept us cool. I never see, I mean, we had a little moment, but I never see Keith get flustered to the point where he just, he, he just lose focus of, of the main goal the whole time. And that's what I appreciate um, from him the whole time while I was up there. And to this day, I stay in contact with him. And so, you know, we, we, we still talk about different projects. He's still working on different projects, things of that nature. But he still has that same focus and that same drive. Roger. Yeah, I mean, uh, Keith, Keith and I, like, we, we did, I mean, I always thought he was really cool and really nice. Uh, my interaction with him was more limited, uh, just because uh, from the beginning, whenever I got there, I was always interacting with whoever the music director was at the time, mm-hmm. which it was two different people, and towards the latter end, it was DJ Tech. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, uh, no, but... Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, Keith, Keith was definitely, I mean, I could definitely tell within the office, he was definitely the one that was extremely punctual, the most organized, uh-huh. uh, and he was just a good dude in general, so, 
Um, but I know, I know that your interaction, Brandon, and I know for sure Pat's interaction, just because of how much, how many years he works with him, was a little bit deeper than mine. Yeah, I mean, and for for me, in a lot of ways, Keith was. Keith was the the counterbalance to my ferocity a lot of times. He was the person who, and I mean, you know, I, I, we've talked about this, but um, a lot of times when I was frustrated with things as it related to the industry in general, you know, whoever it might be as it related to those things. And I think y'all know what I mean when I say that, but, um, and we already talked about this off air. Um I, he was the one who kind of kept me focused and said, Brandon, you've got to look at the bigger picture. Certain, uh, you got to pick your battles. Some, some things aren't worth arguing over. Um, you're young, you're talented, you're gifted, you're bright. And don't let, you know, one slight, um, you know, prevent you from your, your preordained success because you have to show somebody, demand that someone shows you respect. He was like, some some people just aren't going to respect you in the way that you feel like you deserve, and that they're entitled to do that. And that I that wasn't something that I was familiar with because of. And y'all have met my dad. You know what type of man he is. There's a certain way that my dad expects men to conduct themselves, and if anybody acts out of out of that frame, I tend to have a problem with it. Um, mm-hmm. Especially when I feel like they disrespected one of y'all. Like, I mean, and Roger knows this. Like, I. Roger, Roger is less likely to take offense to something um, that someone says or does to him, and I'm more likely to be offended for him. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. Yeah. So. Yeah, I remember I had a snap at Mike Fresh one time. Yeah, like it's like okay, you can talk to me, you can talk to me fucked up, but let you talk to Roger fucked up. It's gonna be some furniture moving in here. You know what I'm saying? Like it, it and and I and there have been times where. Where things like that happen, and, and Keith kept me focused, so I have tremendous amount of respect for him, uh, love and admiration for him as a man, and uh, you know, with us both being Greek now, I mean, we I learned even that much more from him now. So, um, moving forward, um, you know, things kind of, uh, you know, there were some personal life issues on my end, Roger, and and things sort of, I don't want to say fall apart because. I mean, the next phase, I think, probably was the most successful phase. And it's also when Pat comes in, um, which just takes us to a whole nother stratosphere. And I think that a lot of people don't don't always give Pat his just due for what he contributed to New Blood and Watts. But um, what was it like in that transition period where I go back to Jacksonville? It was kind of abrupt initially. Um, I've been handed off this uh, internship to Universal. You're working with, I think, Damon Dash Music Group at the time. Is that correct? Are you talking to me? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I dabbled with, through some indirect contacts to him. Uh, but, I mean, basically, I, I, I got focused on marketing and doing stuff with music, and I'd already been networking with a lot of people between the Core DJ conferences that were in Miami at the time, and, uh, and just traveling to Atlanta and New York in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, basically, uh, what happened is I just started promoting uh, for a lot of different people, and basically, I connected with uh, I don't know why his name's slipping my head right now. He used to run the independent music store mm-hmm. in Tallahassee. I'm not sure who, um, who, who it was. Pat. Uh, yeah, he, he was there, he was the one. And he used to do these. Uh, he used to do event at Bond Times every now and then. You're not talking about Wandu, are you? 
No, no, no. Uh, I know what you're talking about. He had that store in the corner. Um, yeah, is it Mike or something like that? What was he Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It was something. I, 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 like, I know. I mean, honestly, dude is really cool. Like, I, like, like, I mean, he was a cool dude. You know, I was like, the, and basically, uh, he was the first guy. You gotta keep in mind, I'm this white guy going to, like, Fairview side of town, and, like, I don't, you know, fit in. <laughs> and he was the first guy to actually give me a shot uh, to really start working. And uh, and he gave me his flyers for he had a, like a little reggae night at Bonitize and uh, and basically Bonitize. I just th- yeah I started going really aggressive pushing um, and I mean I had his flyers everywhere I mean everywhere that was related to who would go to the party I had it at <laughs> and basically I started going to a lot of places and me and Big Daddy C Seymour kept bumping into each other. And basically, I was promoting for Mike for for a while, for a good few months, and uh, and Seymour kind of like uh, you know it was kind of annoying because even though you know Mike's events weren't doing as well as Seymour's, like I was definitely starting to take a bite into his presence, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, in all honesty, Mike, uh, you know, like I was learning, I appreciate, but he wasn't really paying me much like I can't remember what he paid me but basically in my mind as I recollected it pretty much just covered my cost right. of gas and stuff I've gotten maybe some food and stuff but it didn't really it was, I didn't make any money off of it but right. I didn't care I was just trying to learn and, uh, and I believe I tried to talk to him about doing stuff like uh, to, on a different level but but the thing is he only did events every so often too it was like every month or it wasn't like an every week thing um, and Seymour was doing events you know, two, three times a week. Right, 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 and basically, right. He was um, everywhere you wanted to be at, basically. Yeah, basically he offered me some money. Um, I, I, I'd also talked to Marco, who is how I got with Pat later, but, you know, but basically Seymour came to me first and I was loyal to him came to me first and he started paying me and I started working with him and then, uh, and then basically when I started working, uh, I started going even as hard as I was before promoting like crazy and uh I, I started bumping to pat randomly from time to time i want to i want to stop and, you right uh, there i want to stop you right there real yeah. quick just to just to focus on a key component that i think maybe some of the listeners aren't paying attention to we have a lot of people and, and pat i want you to jump in on this too we have a lot of people who are aspiring to be rappers djs promoters things like that and the one thing that you will always hear out of guys who are successful People like myself, people like Pat, people like Roger. And you've heard it several times in the things that Roger has said. I was promoting all the time. I was putting flyers everywhere. I was I basically describing the amount of work. I think that there's this misnomer that, that people are under this perception that promoters don't do work, that it is not a real job. Um Pat, I just I just want you to piggyback on this because we're getting to a point to where we can talk about, you know, you coming in. But I want you to jump in on this on this topic of the work that it takes to be successful at this thing that we do called promotions or marketing or PR. Can you can you talk to a little bit about the work component? Okay. well, I mean, just to give you a rundown how I bumped into all you guys, um, Originally, I was working here in, in Palm Beach. That's when I first got introduced to music promotion with, with my brother, um, DJ Daddy Fat, which is still on the radio station. He's still DJing. Go ahead um, and shout that out. Hey, 
radio station on. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm still doing the thing. Um, the radio station beats ninety six point three. You can download the app, the whole nine. But um, on to the next. <laughs> but um, and then while while we're promoting out here, that was something. We were the only street team out here. Uh, we were putting out flyers. We we learned from a dude, R.I.P. His name was Mike Fresh. That used to do a lot of promotions down in Miami. Um, a lot of Dev Jam stuff. Um, Roger, I don't know if you remember Mike Fresh. Roger. Uh, which, which Mike Fresh was that? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, it was, it, was, it was a Mike Fresh down in Miami, down in Miami. It, it was uh, a big dude. I think he was one of the few people in the core DJ. But he went ahead, he introduced uh, to my, my brother to uh, music promotion. So that's what, uh, that's what I was doing through high school. I was promoting and the same time I was playing football. So when I just finally got into FAMU, I told my brother, I was like, hey, you know, I really want to still promote. And at the time, he knew TJ. We came out here for TJ's DJs one time. You know, he connected with TJ's. Like, hey, my brother's coming up there. He's going to be going to FAMU. He wants to intern. So at the time, I connected with TJ. I was over there, um, told him I wanted to do anything. I remember the first thing I told TJ in the office. I was like, whatever you want me to do, I'm just here to learn. I just want to learn about the music industry. I, I don't even want to get paid. Just, just teach me what I need to do, that. how to do. <laughs> no, no, straight up, straight up, straight up. Like, when I first got there, because I knew automatically I can't ask for money. I have to prove myself. Right. I got to show my work. So, you know, I can't ask you for money if you don't know what I'm what I'm about. Right. So the first thing put me on to was um, DJ Dap, which um, at the time was he was with Tallahassee Hopwood. With, with Marco as well, and they used to do a lot of uh, promotion, for street promotion, but they were working more so with labels, they used to do uh, work with artists, and Roger was doing more of the club stuff. Um, he was doing some artists, but I think Marco and them just really focused on maybe a few good nights, and also they are working with artists, and they are doing a lot of stuff with Ozone Magazine. Right. So, at the time, I was just working with Marco, I mean, um, TJ just went ahead and threw me off to them just to, like, see how he do in the streets. And I was just out and about. Like, I would just drop my book back from class. class. I was just hitting up everywhere. Wherever it was people, I'm, I'm giving them a fly. You, you're, you're going to the grocery store, you got to fly. You went here, you got to fly. You got to post, you got something. I'm over there, I'm over there arguing with cops. I'm like, come on, man, you got better things to do than be messing around with me, passing out flyers. There's, there's criminals out there. Like, leave me alone. Like, whatever <laughs> Like, whatever I had to do to get the word out there, I did it. Right. You know, it's just, you, you, because at the end of the day, I always remember, you know, just being up there. I'm like, man, there's people that's better than me. There's people, there's a lot more competition. There's people with more money, the whole nine. But, man, I got to stay consistent. I got to stay consistently in people's faces. I got to get the word out there. That's the biggest thing. People get lazy and content. Like, I never, you know, when we're up there, I never got lazy. I never got content, and that was the same thing on Roger. That's why we always bumped into each other all the time. And at the time, I remember, Roger, you were working with that one artist uh, with Zach um, from Def Jam. I forgot his name. Which artist? Um, the, the artist with Def Jam. You guys were working with some artist with Def Jam. Is that who it was? No, it was like Shorty something. I forgot his name. But you guys were working oh, on uh, it's the one that, uh, you talking about Mouse? Yeah, or something like that. Yeah. And and you guys, and I used to always bump into Roger, and at the time, then Roger started working with Bob also. Right. So, so we, 
we and then I knew Roger used to come up to the office and um he used to uh, give Tech a ride. The music director that he did, DJ, yeah. he's always but we used to bump, I bump into him all the time over there. Shout out to Tech, so, man. Know, Haven't seen him in years, man. You just brought his name and brought back a lot of memories, man. He did a lot of good stuff yeah. for you. Shout out DJ Tech. But, you know, he used to go ahead and bring him out there also. So we just put two and two together. Like, yo, you're working. I'm working. Let's work together. Right. And, I mean, and the rest is just history. It is kind of like, both of us, we just had a, a goal. Like, he knew that I wasn't bullshitting. I knew he wasn't bullshitting. If something that Roger wasn't able to do, he knew that it would have been done by me and vice versa. Right. And the, the biggest thing is, like, like no matter what, I mean, we were, we were doing a party. We were at a conference. We were doing a campaign. We were doing whatever just to stay out there. Right. And, and then for us being college kids, I mean, yeah, you know, we're young, but then again, I think we had a drive that was unmatched because there was so many people that came through over there that tried to promote, like, we lasted for a while. Like, we were there for at least about four or five, all throughout college, we were, we were doing that. Right. Y'all were With doing that. People. Y'all were doing that through, through, through uh, Tallahassee after I've already gone back to Jacksonville. And I think yeah. that at that point, at that point, I had taken Jacksonville and I had brought brought that to a whole nother level. Is I mean, Roger, I mean, golly, we we probably I don't I hate to exaggerate. And Roger, you always gonna you always gonna bring it somewhere back to the middle. Is it an exaggeration to say that we were probably the, one of the strongest uh, street team promotion companies? You know, because we did a variety of things, but probably the strongest street team promotion company in Northern Florida for at least a good three years. I, mean, I don't know the time frame exactly, but yeah, I think we definitely have a strong presence in North Florida. Well, honestly, I would even say beyond North Florida because outside of, of what we were doing, like in in the Northwest Florida and Tallahassee and stuff like that, uh, you know, later on uh, we started landing accounts uh, with some labels and musicians and rappers and stuff that basically, uh, what we were handing a lot of work that you were taking care of in like Jacksonville, possibly St. Augustine, Daytona. And then Pat and I uh, were, were covering a lot of stuff throughout the state, period. And sometimes, if you couldn't make, we'd go to Daytona as well. But yeah, we were going to Panama City, Pensacola, Orlando, Tampa, yeah. Fort Myers, yeah, 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 yeah. Port, you know, uh, Port Ritchie, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in uh, Stewart. West Palm, Miami, I mean, everywhere, you name it, all over Florida, we, we were there, Ocala, Gainesville, we have to go through all the cities, but like, and we all, we went all the way to go as far as Pensacola, Right. and uh, there was even times where we would even go to, to southern Georgia, whether it's Albany or Valdosta, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I had, I, mean, I had Brunswick, and I had, I had South Carolina, um, I was doing a lot of that stuff, but my 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 evolution kind of grew out of just kind of building accounts. Like uh, probably in northern in Jacksonville, we probably held down probably about seven accounts. We had the Plush Entertainment Complex, we had uh, the Roxy for a period of time that it was open. We had Aqua Globe, um, we had Terra Nova, which is now pure in Jacksonville. We pretty much had everything. We were doing. Um, Tanning salons. We had probably had a little bit of everything, man, out of uh, out of Jacksonville. So I mean, just the evolution of promotions is just 
is just tremendous in, in our success rate. And then the period of time that it happens, it happens so quickly. Um, I, I don't think that people really, you know, a lot of times people see things, uh, see things kind of in a vacuum and they go, oh, y'all, y'all talk about what y'all did. I mean, can y'all kind of speak to that sometimes? I mean, do you guys ever experience that where, you know, we talk about what we what we used to do and they go, oh, yeah. You know, like maybe you see some youngsters or something like that, and they don't really recognize the the impact and the cultural relevance that New Blood Entertainment Watts and its uh and its uh co owners uh, had on the industry. Can you guys kind of talk to what that experience is like as we have now kind of gone on to to do other things, and maybe sometimes you speak about what you did, and people kind of go, "Yeah, okay." I mean, I don't really. I mean, somebody, you know, we, we talk about music and, you know, I just, just talk to them about it, like, yeah, do this here and there. But, you know, I was, I was, we were privileged to be in the industry, like, we were, we were into it at that time. And I don't really bring it up too much. I mean, if people want to know about the music game, like, you know, I try to give them my input of what I learned and the experiences that I had. But at the end of the day, it just, I mean, if you're really passionate about doing, you know, being in that industry you want to promote, you got to stay focused and stay consistent. Like, it's it's, not, it's no-brainer. It's nothing, it's not, a, it's not rocket science, you know. It's just something that, you know, you want to be out there, you want to be heard. People got to take you seriously. Right. Roger? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say, I would say, that's what you said. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, everyone has an impact on stuff. There's people doing things right now that have an impact. And even what we did, the way which and the way you're referencing it, there's people even prior to us even showing up that could have looked at it the same way because everyone's basically had an impression on somebody directly or indirectly. So I don't feel like it could be said like, oh, we had a major impact necessarily when basically there was there was guys that were before us that had big impacts, you know, like like when Katie and Seymour and A1, all these people were doing events and stuff that laid the path for stuff that people would do afterwards, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I mean, the only thing that that uh, I could think of, like, I mean, we definitely set a presence, but even even my presence of marketing and how aggressive I was, was honestly laid down by, by Seymour, actually, because this guy would just push to the limit, you know? Yeah. And, and basically, so even, and it's so crazy because even my work ethic now that I have for things that are completely outside of music and, and, and just general entertainment comes from that. So, yeah. like, see what I didn't realize it, but like the way I push actually comes from those few years when I was working out there in Tosse with them. And, and even nowadays, I'm sure there's kids doing unique things that are, that we might or might not have thought of, but it's just because of the way the current uh, landscape is as far as marketing. You know, things are evolving. Uh, but the only thing I can really think of that maybe we might have had even a remote impact on, uh, and it wasn't even necessarily um, completely ours, I kind of hijacked it. Because uh, I don't even think Pat was there when Late Night Library existed. Oh, yeah. he was, No, no, no. That was, that was us. That was uh, me, but, you, little boy, and, and but, rest yeah, in peace, but, Skipper Chuck. Yeah. Yeah, but basically there was a tipsy Tuesday night there. I remember it was really successful. And then, the, you know, the, the club that shut down, basically the FSU bought the properties out. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides, after that, there'd be some nights on Thursdays, but basically the only nights that were ever really relevant until I asked you after that were Friday and Saturday. And that was it. Um, 
And then, um, you know, and then Pat and I bumped into Mr. Wando. Yeah. And I decided to, gas I, I, station. Noticed, I noticed the location was literally um, not even a mile away, like a half a mile away from Buffalo Wild Wings, which you know on Tuesdays gets super packed. Right. And uh, it just, I put two and two together. I sat down with Pat, and unfortunately, right when I was, when when we were planning this, I was actually leaving to go to New York to go do some. Yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, basically, we set up a tipsy Tuesday night where it was like free for ladies till like, I think 11 or midnight. Uh, we did free and, all night. We were during the summertime. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. The summertime it was free all night. You're right. Yeah, yeah but it, it, I, I think uh, in the fall we changed it to midnight or whatever. But basically, we did that and wanted to agree to give some free drinks for whatever. And basically, we marketed it not necessarily as a party in the beginning party party, although we did promote it, but it was really more as the after party to Buffalo Wild Wings. And we promote right there for people to continue the night. And we, we were one of the, I don't want to say trailblazers do anything unique, but like the reintroduction of a weekday party in Tennessee, which yeah. is basically dead. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. And, 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 and to piggyback off of that, I, and I remember what you were just saying like earlier about, you know, the kids that are promoting right now and then the new platforms that they had. I think at the time when we were promoting and shout out to Queen and Venom because we can't talk about this and they were a big part of helping us out. Hundred percent. Awesome. Shout out to Clean and Venom, and, man. And, and the thing was is that I think what we did was we made sure whatever was hot or current for us to market and advertise our party, we were on that platform. So at the time, Facebook started to get popular. We did that. Mass text messages was popular. We did that. MySpace, okay, at the time was popular. We did that. Whatever we could do to promote and advertise our party. We did it. If we had to do radio commercials, we did it. When we put cups on the fences, we did it. The posters, <laughs> we did it. Like, it yeah, I mean, was, I mean, I would say we did all that. And there was even some parties we never really spent money on heavy advertising. But yeah. there was times where I was just very, um, like, basically everyone would spend ads on like these morning radio shows and midday, and I, and I honestly I thought that was stupid because basically all everyone that was partying. They were either in class or sleeping or whatever the hell they were doing or working. And the prime hours to advertise on the radio were basically from midnight to 3 a.m. Because that's when they were out and about yeah. going to the club or getting out of the club at like 2.30 in the morning, et cetera. Right. And, and it's funny because those ads were basically almost free. They were like $5 or less per spot. Yeah. Right. And we used to do a lot of that. And in, uh, and honestly, one thing that I remember that I pushed really heavy, and I told everybody that was working with us, uh, including Derek, uh, who is uh, called my general. He's called general. general. Serious? Yeah. Basically, <laughs> was to only promote to women. Right. Like, I never promoted to a single guy ever. Because I basically, if women were going there, men were coming anyways. Although one time, only one time, we had so many women in the club that we actually, I'll never forget this, we, we started pushing it and guys would come in free. Yeah. <laughs> we had too many, it actually <laughs> happened one time. Yeah. Yeah, no, there was too many girls in the club. Yeah, man. It, which it was, was a rarity, you know, normally the other way around. It, it, it was just something that I think, man, while we were up there, man, I, I think Rod, me, Rod, 
I mean, and then you, I mean, you, t- I mean, like you said, you were in Jacksonville at the time, and when you started coming in, just, we just had a chip on our shoulder, and we were just young kids that had a passion for hip hop. We enjoyed it, but at the same time, we wanted to make money doing our own shit. Right. And we collaborated with people, you know, and we, and in the past, we got Jay Jerk from other guys here and there trying to work with other promoters. And when we finally got together and started working with each other, it's like, all right, we built momentum. Right. And it just, you know, during those years, we built them up. We were able to do our own parties and even put other people on as well, which is cool. Right. Which is cool. And then, I mean, and the whole marketing, like you were saying before, with Seymour, like, I remember Seymour told me one time while he was promoting, and, and to this day, I used that message. We looked at the billboard. I asked Seymour, I was like, when are you going to retire doing this? He's like, man, the McDonald's? I was like, yeah, he's like, McDonald's is a multi-billion dollar company. They advertise every damn week. Why should I stop? <laughs> very well said. So, and, and, and that was true. And that was that was very true, man. And, and he's still out there hustling, too. I, go ahead, I'm sorry. I said, he's still out there hustling, too. Yeah, he's still, I mean, I, I, I believe he doesn't do the parties anymore. He, he's doing something else now. He's just working and he has his own barbershop now. Bought the Clippers. Um, oh, okay. But, uh, okay. But you know, when he told me that, I was like, man, you know what? You can't say that. Oh, you know, oh, you're good. You don't have to advertise anymore. No, you always have to stay in people's face. And I think that is something that, with us promoting, with a promoter in general, or any kid that want to get in this game, is like whoever stays out there the most, whoever's in consistently in people's face. They're gonna. They, they may not. They might. They may not bite at first, but they're gonna know what's going on. They're gonna know your party. They're gonna know the name of your company. That's what you need them to know first. Right. So, Roger, I, I haven't worked. Uh, have we worked in separate cities for for several years? Um, we're, we're successful, provided assistance to each other when we when we could. I started traveling back and forth after I got some things together. But I, I kind of want to talk because obviously this is probably one of the most important parts and one of the things that we do um, right before we all basically kind of shut down. I probably a little bit earlier, a little bit before you guys. Um, there was a relationship that was built, you know, maybe seven years prior um, where you had you had built a relationship with uh, Kenneth Darpo, Corporate Ken, and uh, and Cato Cash out of New York, and you leveraged that relationship to get me an internship with Universal. I think you went and took an internship with someone with another another label, and that's how you ended up going up up to New York and doing stuff with Russell Simmons and whatnot. But uh, you leveraged that opportunity for me to get with Universal. So then when I went back to Jacksonville. I had something to kind of leverage. Hey, I'm I'm a college rep from Universal. Like that shit really matters. But the what what Universal also did is they pointed me towards Young Cash. Can you speak a little bit about that relationship with Young Cash and how that ends up turning into us working on the management staff with Marco Mall, the guy Marco who you guys have been talking about um, for uh, for Tay Dism and and how that all comes about? Can you talk a little bit about that? And Pat, you can jump in where you feel it, where you fit in. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, basically, I was, I've always been networking. Uh, I knew a lot of people uh, at a young age, because even prior to coming to college, I was always networking. Uh, I would Google, like, what managers of artists that weren't even that big yet, but their original artists look like. And basically, I'd drive down to Miami and, um, 
and I'm looking for the faces of majors and just network with them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, basically, Cato is someone that I'm actually still really good friends with now, um, and he he worked at Universal and I talked out with Ken and everybody, and and not just him, but uh, even a, a few other people actually. That uh, this guy Ice Schuler that worked at SRC at the time, yeah, just a couple different nice. people, uh, KK Roseman who was the A and R at Universal at the time, who actually uh, discovered Indiari and Erica Badu. And, and actually at the time, Cato worked directly underneath him. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, as far as cash, uh, I mean, I've always helped cash with everything. Um, even today, if there's anything I can help them with that, you know, because I can't spend full, full time on anything too much because I have my own business going on now, but anything I can help them with, uh, I'm always glad to help them with anything. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, cash, you know, we always marketed, and I, and I know it's sporadically, we always work together to push them on different things. And then basically later, uh, Marco and I, when Pat and I were working a lot more together, Marco's always been trying to get me to hop on in since I can remember. Mm. Uh, and uh, and eventually I did. I pulled a trigger, and he wanted me to help him with Tay. And, uh, and we did, and, and we started making a lot of moves with Tay. Uh, there was just... Uh, you know, things didn't work out as as well. Part, part of it was just uh, was just timing uh, on everybody's part, you know, and uh, everyone being on the same page. But but, uh, but yeah, we definitely built something special, and it, and it was even prior to to Tamari one time. Uh, Pat and I picked up a project uh, to promote our artist by the name of Benesfar. Yep, I remember. And Benny, um, literally, Benny, uh, basically. They, they had given accounts to a lot of quote-unquote big promoters mm-hmm. that they spent tons of money on and, and they gave us money f- to promote and we I think we were only really in charge to do like any casting somewhere else and we did we ended up doing the whole state yeah we ended up doing the whole state and basically honestly we didn't even make any money because yeah. all the money went towards gas hotels and yeah. scrapping our meals together right. and but what was crazy is we traveled so much without telling them that later, and I've spoken to him since then, uh, his branch at the time, where basically uh, they would go to Orlando, and it's like we already, you know, every like they saw Beneswap posters everywhere. And they're like, what the hell? And then they went to another city, and boom, Beneswap posters was there. And then we had West Palm Beneswap posters there in Tampa, and, and, and they were, and you know, and they really appreciated it because a lot of times like everyone else in the music industry is kind of like a little shysty right. they would take your money and, and throw the flyers out while we did the opposite we would take their money and brought the hell out of it you know to the point where actually we weren't even benefiting it so their value and their investment to what we were getting paid was amazing uh, but we were trying to have an impact and that later led to us landing a lot of work where we would get work from other independent artists. We'd get work from bigger artists that we knew in Miami. Uh, I know Pat developed a relationship with Frank Johnson, who, I don't know if he still is, he was at Atlantic Records at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and I did stuff with Rob Love, who was at Jerry Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, we just had different people we were working with. All they got was Skia, who, who later worked at RSMG, which is who I worked with at the time at Rough Communications. Uh, Skia Fountain and later Skia uh, later went on to Neo but like basically I just it, really our work is what spoke for ourselves and 
and people just started finding out and, and we worked with everybody from like really really big artists directly or in their to their labels to like local artists uh we did a lot of work with bsu who had a movement going on in uh north florida and part of south florida yep. um yeah i did a lot of stuff with cash we did a lot of stuff with him um, yeah, we definitely did a and, lot of stuff with cash and and, and um, I mean, yeah, I mean, and that was that was pretty much the gist of it, man. Um, okay. I think I think I think one thing that you know, while while we're promoting, that's one thing I tried my hardest to do, and I know Roger did too, is that you know when we're working with guys like, and it's so many shifty people in this business, like we honestly try not to fuck them over. Right. Like, that's one thing. Because uh, we have been fucked over my, so much. <laughs> yeah, we've been fucked over so much. And I'm not saying every situation that we work with everybody came out, you know, peaches and cream. But in the same time, though, it, I we just made sure that I, you know, we work with them. We're going to try. We're going to treat the project like it was ours. Right. Absolutely. Like, like we were like, with like, like, and like, That yeah. was our artist. This is who, who we're dealing with. That's our money that we're investing to that person or into that event. And I think just going by that, I think that's been off, that's been fortunate for us. And you know, now these days that we're able to go into other other business ventures and able to do what we need to do. Right. Well, I want to stop real quick because I, I want to I want to address two people who I think play just as much a role in as we move towards becoming Watts as any of us could. Uh, Vok Visa and Keys Dirty, who are cousins, I believe. Um, Roger. Uh, I mean, without a, we, I mean, you know, obviously they play a pivotal role. Can you, can you and Pat kind of speak to the role that they play in in Watts LLC as as artists that we manage? And I, I, I want to ask the, the the very straightforward question: What happened? Did we fail them, or did they fail to do what they needed to do as artists for us to help them be successful? What what is the cause? What is the root cause that leads to a situation to where? we're no longer directly working with them and we weren't able to get them where they needed to go. Well, I mean, what, what happened is that, my, 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 my bad, cut you right. what happened is that we started working with Chase. Mm-hmm. And simply, I mean, we started taking on that project and that was something that we were doing full time. And then, I mean, with Vox and Keith, I mean, they were doing their thing. It's just, we just had another project that we were working with. And then it's kind of like, as time went yeah, by, I mean, that's partially true, I would say that, but, like, uh, honestly, like, uh, as far as the, the swaying, uh, yeah, it definitely happened. I think it would be on both sides. But, I mean, basically, you know, we were working a lot of Vak. Like, I, I always thought Vak was, like... It worked a lot of Vak. I thought it was... Honestly, I loved his voice. Mm-hmm. I, I did, too. Still do. Like, he had a unique voice. Uh, but, you know, there was times where, where we were getting stuff going, and... Uh, and there was times where where things would cool down, you know. And, and I know he also had a lot of responsibilities. He, you know, he, had, he had a baby at the time, like, which, you know, it's all understandable, like, looking back at it now, you know, mm-hmm. as I've gotten older. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, there's a lot of pause and go. And I remember basically even then, like, Keith was always asking me to help him all the time, but I was really focused on Vok. That's who I was always working with. And, and then basically during one of Vox's pauses or whatever, I started helping Keith out because I need something to do. 
right. you know, just in all honesty, you know, and, and I like Keith's flow. Like I thought he was uh, actually, I didn't even realize how he was until Fox up one of his long pauses. But uh, I mean, he was really good, man. I mean, I, I thought I thought he had a which, and he was even compared to it sometimes. But he had a flow like Ti, but with a little bit more of a raspy edge to it and mm-hmm. smoothness that that had like almost like a flow that was southern, but with an up north feel to it. Right. Uh, but his voice was definitely southern. But you could just tell he he uh, I mean, he took his lyrics very seriously, actually, um, which was cool because I, I loved real lyricism uh, and basically that was going well but same thing kind of happened where it would be this in and out thing uh, uh, and, I, and I still love Keisha Pizza actually you know it's been a while right now but I mean I, I've chatted with him randomly afterwards from time to time um, just period and you know and it's funny because even one of my friends from college who had nothing to do with music who met Vox still talks to him to this day every now and then <laughs> Uh, but like uh, yeah I mean basically uh, I was getting ready to to leave school you know it's really what happened I was getting ready to leave school I was done and uh, Marco kept bugging me and you know and then I, I needed to start getting more serious with stuff right and and actually I didn't actually completely give up on, on him actually when I started working with Tay I was still working a little bit with mostly Keys and then later Vok a little bit. Because mm-hmm. uh, Vok had kind of, like for a while, had stopped stuff. And uh, and I know later he might have felt like I stopped working with him, but also I was focusing more on Keys. But like the reality is, it's like, cause I can't wait for people, you know? Right. Just like if I just stopped promoting him for three, four months, I don't expect him to wait for me either. Right. Um, and so I started working with Tay more and and realistically, I mean, the situation was a better situation. He, you know, he was affiliated with Keith Payne, uh, who I knew already, and um, and Marco and everybody. And, and basically, I knew Marco was really serious about it. So I figured, you know what, this is a cool opportunity to just start building. Although, in all honesty, in the back of my head, I, I was even thinking back then, like, if, if things get going and I get more leverage with the industry, I could actually go back and get Keith to come in. You know, because uh, even Keith at the time, which a lot of people don't know, he did a remix to, um, what is it, Pliant Song that he came out um, with the Nitty Dave. And I don't know how, but if, if we, I was pushing it a little bit at the time, and it, it made its way, oh, uh, nothing, remember, uh, the one that he did with Nitty, uh, yeah, and basically it had made its way to Atlanta. And Mitty actually got a hold of him and, and straight up just contacted Keith directly wanted to work with him. Right. This is when Mitty was like super popular. Yeah, you know, he, he was, man. It's going down for Young Jock. Yeah. And, and I'd actually traveled to Atlanta a couple times to go meet up with them. Um, and you know, things didn't, honestly, I'm not even sure why things didn't work out. Cause I don't, it, I, once again, it's probably on our side. I'm not sure what happened. We were supposed to give him some music and it didn't get delivered. Whatever the case is, or but like it was, it was pretty, it was pretty real actually, and it was, you know, so I and the thing is, I always felt like Keith had, um, you know, I still think he 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 he's I amazing. Mean, just that we're older now, so now, unfortunately, the music game is, is a young people industry, right? So I feel like once you hit past thirty, 
pretty much a wrap. It's like the NFL, you right. know. Right. And, um, although I can't say completely, just look at two chains. You know, he was like, you know, maybe a forty when he made it. Yeah. You know? Low rider. Rick Ross. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know exactly how old they're, but I'm, I know they're not nineteen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they were all, all in the 30s, so it's definitely possible even for Keith and everything. If, if, like, I'm not surprised with anything. Uh, and then again, even today's landscape is completely different. Like, it seems like your lyrical skill set doesn't matter anymore. So, right. you know, so. so I want to. Yeah, I, I mean, want like, to. We take the pain, we just start working on that. Right. So I want to I wanna touch on something that, you know, obviously. Um, you know the relationships are different for for the three of us uh so i i, I want to talk about this uh this one person because he uh he is someone who has played a role in all three of our lives in different ways um tj chapman uh you know uh, head of tj's djs now manager for bob um pat um i know you've had the longest standing uh and the deepest relationship with him out of the three of us and Roger, I want you to jump in too. Can you talk about what TJ has contributed to your life, be it positively or negatively, um, and um, you know how you view him, what you learned from him, and, and what your relationship is with like a, with him today? Um, I mean TJ. I tell you one thing. I learned from TJ. He knows his music. I mean, he has he has, he has a great ear for music. Uh, you know, throughout the years, I've seen and he's very passionate. And what he was doing. I mean, that was one of the two things. And he was focused. When it came to music, he knew what he was talking about. And he knew, he was he studied the industry. Like, he wasn't a, a, a guy that he would just get in there, you know, just try to, you know, just be political. Like, yeah, he was political, but in, at, at the same time, he really knew his music. Like, there was other DJ organizations that were out there that, you know, that were trying to break records. And within those five years I was working with him, none of them did not break as many records as I've seen come through his office. And that was just one man. And a lot of these DJ coalitions had three, four hundred people that at the end of the day, nothing wasn't being played. And I remember one particular project I was working with him, which is Rich Boy. I'm servicing out to all the DJs, record pools throughout the country. And he was just teaching me how a record works, how to be patient, how to let it create organically, how to create his own vibe, his own buzz. And I never seen that before. And then before you knew it, the record was the top, it was like a, one of the highest records of 2007. Right. And even what you, and then now looking a few years now, look what he did with B.O.B. I mean, a lot of people at first when he had B.O.B., I remember B.O.B. couldn't even hold the mic properly on stage. Now, He's all over the world, right? And that just and that just shows that just shows you for you know when you believe in something and the music is good, it can work. It just takes time, right? And you gotta organically let it build on its own. So that's that's something that I learned from him, and to this day, you know. And he always used to tell me, you know, build relationships. You know, make sure you're resourceful. At the end of the day, because, you know, at that, people want to deal with people that's resourceful. They don't want to just deal with a Debbie or a handout. Right. That's, that's something that TJ always used to teach me. And then to this day, you know, I respect him about that. I mean, I, I stay in contact with him when I can. If he's not in Hong Kong or 
in London or something like that. Usually that's why I see him posting on Facebook. Right. Okay. Roger? So yes, I do. Roger? Yeah, I mean, me, um, I mean, I actually, for me, he was actually really helpful because basically when I got to Tallahassee, uh, I actually didn't actually have to visit FSU when I came up here. I, I decided on the whim without visiting it. My first time coming here was basically moving in. And uh, I was looking for people to network with uh, that was around music. <clears throat> and little did I know the little bubbling scene that was basically happening right in Tallahassee because there's a lot of impact uh you know a lot of people don't even know this but Kali Park uh, used to go by the name TJ Smurf and mm-hmm. he was actually TJ's original music director yeah. prior to me coming there um also um what's his name um Pat uh what's the guy uh Rico Love Rico Love basically when I left Pat became the new me <laughs> and because yeah, I was I was there for and then Pat really took over and was, and I was out and he was gone. But prior to me coming there, Rico Love was there. He was us. He was Pat at the yeah. office. And, Go ahead, Roger. And, you know, and basically, um, you know, even, even, uh, uh, and TJ definitely, what he did is he, he almost pulled like, if, and it's not in a bad way, it's a positive thing. He, he set up like a Walmart within the, DJ networking world, where basically he built relationships with DJs all over, including major cities, but he definitely had a stronghold, and as far as I noticed it, in small to medium-sized markets, you know? And basically, he, he, he might not have had Miami super strong, but you know what? He had parts of Broward, Palm Beach, Martin County, Fort Myers, like, you know, Port Richie, all those areas like really, really strong. So he had all the areas around there. And so he was able to help artists break the records. And, uh, and you know, and, and there's a lot of stuff that we were involved in as well. And, and, and as Pat said, he definitely had an ear for music because I'll never forget, I was actually in the student, I was actually in his office when he got it. He got, he got the, the, so the Whisper song. Uh, and it was just a concept. The record was, wasn't even finalized. And, and uh, Kyle Park had sent it to TJ, and, and TJ loved it so much. It was, it was weird because my phone was whispering, I could barely hear it. And basically, I'm not even sure if he got permission, but he just started blasting out the record, and he made it a top priority for all of us in the office to make sure every DJ in his network knew about that record. <laughs> and really, within a week, that record was like basically all over the country with little to no help by TVT records. You know, one thing I really appreciate working with him is just the fact that how I see, I've seen the music change with those few years. Because I remember when I first got up there, everybody was on this dope boy era, like Young Jeezy, Rick Ross, Clyde. And then before I left, that was the beginning of the Backpack Rapper era. Right, you went from four XTs to cats wearing skinny jeans within the matter of those years, and it was just so crazy how you see the evolution of, of the music how it changed. And in the same time, though, it's like I I've, I've seen so many artists that are big now 
they came to see their DJs. Plies, Bootsy, Rick Ross, Gucci Man, Paul Wall, Mike Jones. Like, whoever was hot in the South, they, they came to his event. Mm-hmm. I mean, anybody that was hot at that time, they were there. I mean, I connected. I mean, I mean but, but basically it made sense because the thing is, what, what, and that's what's going back to what I was saying, is like, yeah. yeah, there were some major markets, but there used to be a lot of small, medium-sized market DJs who would not just come to his events and stuff, but would support the records that he basically said, this is what you need to push. And and what I mean by that is, let's say, like in the state of Georgia, like, he might not have had a strong, strong impact with, like, the main DJs in Atlanta, but he had a strong impact with the DJs in Savannah, in Valdosta, in Macon, in Albany, in Rainsbridge, like, in Dothan, Alabama, like, in these smaller markets, you know? And, and, and it's funny... Pat mentioned it because Plies was was the epitome of that kind of artist when he first started. Because basically, when he first first started, when I say he didn't even go to big markets, I'm talking about. I remember when he first came to North Florida, he didn't even go to Tallahassee first. Yeah. He went to Quincy. He went to Havana. He went to Chattanooga. He went to all the small towns around Tallahassee. And, and Tallahassee definitely turning into a city now, but back then I don't consider it a, a major city. But he treated it like it was. And like even outside of Orlando or Tampa, he didn't do those areas. He would be in Polk County, he'd be in Ocala, he'd be in Gainesville. He would go to Daytona rather than going to Jacksonville first, you know? He'd go I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if you remember this, Raj, in his office. I remember he always used to, and I don't know why he has that. He always had a map of the southeastern region. Yeah, I remember that map. <laughs> and, and Yeah, he always had a map. But you know what? You look at it, I'm like, man, that was, that was so smart because I, he was he was going after the markets that people weren't going after. Because when you think about the South, automatically you think about Atlanta, Miami. I mean, well, you, Florida is his own is his own uh, beef, mm-hmm. and you think about Atlanta. Cast thing, oh, you hit up Atlanta, oh, I'm good. Nah, like Roger saying, he will hit up all those surrounding markets because mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, they're gonna appreciate it more than. In the major markets, and at the end of the day, if all the smaller markets are playing it, it's going to get to the major market. Not to mention no, the smaller will. markets. And the smaller, mar- the smaller markets aren't getting the visibility either. There's only one or two major markets in most states, but there's a lot of medium and small size markets. And literally, that's why I kept bringing up the Walmart. It's like the positive thing. Yeah, yeah, Walmart. Because, that's what because Walmart basically, Dan Walton, a lot of people don't know this, when, when they first started Walmart, they first started Walmart to spread the stores, he literally had a role. And the role was, if there's more than 5,000 people living in these towns, he can want to open a store there. Because basically, he was he was going to cities and towns where there was no hardware stores, there were no supply stores, there were no general stores. And basically, he, he, he did a corporate thing in a small town and locked in the market. And then by the time, just like what TJ did, by the time uh, the, the big city boys realized what was up here he had the whole state locked up except for the major city and then he went after that next and he put it in a chokehold and that's basically what TJ did in the music is um, he had all the support of small DJs that literally an artist like for example like, and, and Plyas not necessarily just to TJ even to his own marketing but Plyas basically everyone to the point where he was getting 20 grand a show and he was getting folks all over the state Except for Miami, maybe Orlando at the time, although he eventually conquered that. 
and and that was it. I mean, basically, he was getting tw- and, he, and he had all the markets on lock where he could do twenty grand shows at like fifteen to twenty different cities throughout the state of Florida. It was so big, and I, I'll never forget this. I remember one weekend, uh, <laughs> Young Jeezy uh, had had done a show at the Moon, and I don't know what they paid him. I don't know if it was fifty thousand, sixty thousand. I don't know what it was. You know, uh, it was a lot though, and. And it was sold out, it was packed. It was great, you know, it did amazing. Maybe made his money, oh, made his money, but, but then, but I don't know, it was like a month or two months later, Flash came and did a show. This is when he was first bubbling up and he had a lot of records to underground. And they got him for like less than 10 grand, you know, like 7,500, I can't remember exactly but whatever it was. That place was just as packed. They were charging just as much to get in. Cause he had a stronghold with it, and that's part of the internet as well that was starting to bubble up at the same time. His music was spreading all these small towns, and everyone has relatives and friends and family everywhere, and it was spread its way through. So basically, uh, that business model of TJ was doing was really the, the beginning of, of independent music today in the digital era starting. Because that's basically what every artist does now that's coming up. They, they don't go to Miami in the beginning, they do all these small towns within their respective market. It's the same thing that the Rostrum records, they were whiskey from Mac Miller. They didn't go to New They focused on these small towns randomly throughout Pennsylvania first, and then they slowly spread on small towns, you know? That's because, it. Because ultimately, the small town people, they appreciate it more than somebody coming through, oh yeah, you coming through our city, then more so, yeah, you're just going to Philly, or you're going to New York City, you're going to Atlanta, you're just going down to Miami. Like, you know, people don't even understand what Cherry Day, when he first started to pop off, majority of his fan base wasn't even in Miami. Yep. Like, I think when, to this day, his biggest fan base is in Tallahassee. Yep. And the other thing so, about all of them was is that is that the other thing is is that the the young people from those smaller markets, from your Polk counties, uh, you know what I'm saying, from your Quincy's, things like that, they're going to travel to these other major markets to go to school. Exactly. You know what I'm saying, and they're going to carry their music with them. That was the, the because, and we all experienced that having gone to school in Tallahassee um, at one time yeah. or another was that. When we would come to cities like Tallahassee or we would go to places like Orlando and we would go to places where there were major colleges and universities, what would you also experience? You'd experience music from different areas based on, you know what I'm saying, the, the demographic of people that were at that particular university. Like, that's how when I got to Tallahassee, I was able to hear chopped and screwed music. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got on that real heavy, but I, that was because we had people converging on fam from Houston. You know what I'm saying in Dallas and shit like that. So I, I totally agree wholeheartedly that that the smaller markets are going to make an impact. One one thing that I want to suggest to my listeners: if you ever get a chance, I don't know if it's still something that's being sold anywhere, but there was a DVD that came out called "The Dirty States of America." You guys remember that DVD, Pat Roger? Yeah, yeah. It, it, that is one of the DVDs that I'm I think. To think about that DVD. That was a DVD. It was a documentary. TJ was on that documentary, and a bunch of other people that we that we know from the oh, industry. The dirty states of you said the dirty states of America. Yeah, the dirty states of America. It was a documentary on hip hop in the South. Um, it is probably one of the one of the most valuable DVDs. I still have it in my collection, and it's probably one of the most valuable DVDs that I had as as a young man getting into the industry. And I encourage anybody if you can get a copy of it, or if it's on YouTube or something like that. Take some time out, watch it, listen to what the guys are saying, 
and just take it all in because it, it can be tremendously valuable to your career and being successful in this industry, whether that's as an artist, whether that's as a promoter, whether that's as a, um, they call them A&Rs. I, I think of it more as a curator now. You know, you kind of help a project get developed. I, I don't know if it's still considered an A&R in the, in the true definition of A&R anymore. I think it's more of a curator for a project. Um, but before we, uh, before we go, guys, because I don't want to hold you up too terribly long, I got to ask you because it seems like, um, you know, a lot of people expect that there's these, these legendary stories. I don't think that there are necessarily these legendary stories, but do you guys have any legendary stories from your time with each other, your time with me, anything funny, hilarious, an experience that took place between the three of us that, that you haven't forgotten that sticks out? I think that probably one of the one of the most hilarious ones, which isn't really related to music, but it is a testament to our friendship with each other, is that homecoming when I came back and I had been gone for a long time, and I stayed at your I stayed at your condo or your townhouse rather. Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, the thing, you, yeah. You want to finish telling this story? <laughs> oh, go ahead, go ahead. So go ahead. I, I was asleep on the couch, minding my own business. And I don't know if Roger had came back yet. I think Roger was out, and we were waiting on Roger to get back. You were upstairs in the room. Your girl was upstairs in the room, and we saw lights flashing across the front of the house. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, Roger must have just came back. So I don't even flinch. I don't get up, right, until we start hearing, and I was like, what the fuck is that? What the fuck is going on? So I happen to open the door. And they jacking up your girl car because, like, two wheels were parked out in the street. And, you know, Tallahassee is, like, ridiculous with his tow and shit. Like, I mean, they just, they tow for no fucking reason. Like, and they jacked your car up. And I think your roommates came running downstairs with the pistol and all this other crazy shit. We tried, we pulled a gun on the tow guy and tried to get him to put the car down. I remember that. I remember that. Do you have do you have anything that stands out? I know I know you're so politically correct and you don't wanna you don't necessarily wanna tell everything, but do you have anything? It can be about me. I mean no, I mean uh, He's such I a mean, fucking liar. Just, uh, <laughs> just, uh, uh, that, that was so. a good story. That, 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 I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I have I have individual stories on both of you guys separately. Okay, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. You can hit me, you know I don't give a fuck. Most of my stories with you when they were all smooth revolved around you getting angry at somebody and falling down <laughs> or something of that nature. <laughs> Anyone in particular that stands out? Because I know I had an anger problem when I was a much younger man. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, 
I just I just remembered uh, the thing is me um, when I get like I remember there's a point where when you start getting some level of success you kind of felt that a little bit mm-hmm. I was like oh man, man. <laughs> you know and you gave yourself the boss hog title whatever <laughs> We always we always have this debate. I did not come up with the name. You did. DJ Too Freaky. All right, go ahead. So, so, so all right. First of all, this, this is why I already knew this is uh, this is um some some janky uh, shit because <laughs> the, the DJ he 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 didn't even stand up. He was sitting down the whole time just playing music play. I was like, okay. The club was it was a pretty decent, nice sized club, and the whole time. So we're waiting for the DJ, whatever. So the whole time, Cola just holding on. He's like, hey man. uh, now y'all just chill for a little bit, man. We, you know, I got some NFL players showing up. I got like uh, four NFL players from New Orleans Saints that's showing up. Hour later, pass by. Man, y'all just sit tight, man. Just go ahead. Uh, I got like four NFL players from uh, New Orleans Saints showing up. Two hours pass by. Hey, man, y'all just. I was like, yo. So, mind you, DJ Cola is not the smallest dude in the world. He pulls up in like in a Chevy Cobalt, <laughs> the little like what four cylinder rod. Wow. Yeah, he pulls up, and then the whole time we're like, we're like, and Roger's like, I, I had it, I can't do it, and he's like, yo, Cola, I got to Jackson. Like, no, no, this shit tight. So we finally, like four, like three and a half hours later, the players show up, and we're like, Cola, what are the NFL players? He's like, no, they're here, they left already. We're like, oh, you got to be shitting me. And I think he has some offensive linemen come to this party. I'm like, who knows offensive linemen? <laughs> I'm like, come on, like, like, who knows offensive? Like, it was like the like the left guard for New Orleans Saints. I'm a, motherfucker, a motherfucker don't nobody know. Like, I mean, bitch, yeah, like, where the I'm fuck like, is Joe Horn? Or <laughs> it, it, it was the, it was like the left guard in the center that came to that came to the party. That's ridiculous. I'm like, really? Should be ashamed of himself. And then uh, not only that, it was like we left Pensacola. Mind you, this is Pensacola. We left Pensacola like around like three thirty, four o'clock in the morning, driving at night from Pensacola, which is on I ten, which that's not the best drive in the world. So we didn't get end up getting home until maybe like what seven thirty, eight o'clock the next morning. I mean in the morning, yeah, something like that. <laughs> it was ridiculous, man. <laughs> I mean, but you know, at the end of the day, it was it was fun. We all learned from it, but you know, we had, we had a good time. Well, thank you guys. I want to thank you so much for taking this time out. This is probably one of the longest conversations that we've had. I'm sure, um, you know, we we all work so much now in our own little fields and things like that that we don't get to uh, see each other and hang out that much. I'll be in Florida. You know, I'll be down in Orlando in a couple of months, so maybe we'll get to hang out. I know Roger is getting married in the near future, so we'll all be able to congregate at some point for, for that. Um, and I, I know that as we all continue to, to jump brooms, you know, I, I don't know what Pat's situation is right now, 
don't want to put him on blast on the show. Um, and nah, we, hey, I'm, I'm chilling. That's, that's my <laughs> as we as we all you know proceed to jump the brooms at, at at stages in our life and whatnot. I'm sure we will all see each other. And I I think that it is uh it goes without saying that that I love you guys. I look at you guys like my brothers. And, um, you know, I, I couldn't be the person that I am um, today without having had the relationship that I've had with you guys and and everything that you've contributed to my life. I just want to thank you guys so much for that. And I want to thank you for, you know, taking the time out because I know both of you are busy to to just reflect a little bit, give a little bit of perspective and give a little bit of education to our, to my listeners about what it is to be in the music industry, what New Blood Entertainment has done and what Watts has done. And, and kind of the impact that we made. So before we go, I just want to pass the pass the mic, if you will, to you guys. Um, if you want to share what you're doing now, um, how people can get in contact with you, um, you know, just just kind of any of that kind of stuff, or or, or you know, hell, uh, you know, a quote or something valuable, uh, so we can end the podcast. Roger, go ahead and go first because you talked longer. Yeah, I mean, basically, me, uh, I've kind of evolved. Uh, her marketing and, and online marketing stuff for music and just evolved into digital marketing on the more uh, corporate side of things. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, like, uh, and that's basically I was doing a lot of work with different clients, but I've kind of more zoned in into making, like, uh, business partnerships with a few clients here in South Florida. And, um, and yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing, just SEO, uh, a lot of digital marketing, web development, and uh, that's pretty much it. Okay. Got any email or anything that if people want to do business with you, how, they, how could they get in contact with you? Yeah. Yeah. Our website is giantitan.com. G-I-A-T-I-T-A.com. Giantitan.com. Giantitan.com. Okay. You hit the contact box, it goes straight to one of Okay. Pat? Yeah, um, I'm still in marketing, but I'm just still doing. Uh, I'm doing more printing and promotional materials, um, like point of sale signs, t-shirts, hats, banners, anything that can help uh, market or advertise your business. Um, working with a lot of government agencies in the state of Florida. Actually, um, doing a lot of work in Tallahassee. So you know, Tallahassee's still in my heart. Still doing a lot of work out there. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as with music, I you know, I still enjoy it. I, I'm still around it. My brother's still DJing, so, you know, I still see, you know, what's going on in and out of it. It just, you know, right now I'm just enjoying it as far as as a fan, you know, and then more as working the whole nightlife and everything. It just, right now, that's my biggest focus is just building these business relationships and going from there. Um, you can um, hit me up, you know, if anybody's your friend on Facebook, look me up, uh, Patrick Benoit. Uh, that's my full government, no middle name. You know, I don't know, Haitians don't have middle names. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, you can look me up. Um, our website is uh, p-massociates.com. Uh, you can uh, see an overview of our company, what we do, uh, some of the printing promotional materials we've done. We also got a, a e-catalog you can take a look at and go from there. Okay. And, uh, you know, anything I got to say for you listeners is just, you know, you want to get in the game, stay focused, stay consistent, and go from there. You're going to fall. You're going you're gonna to fall multiple times, multiple times before you really get to where you need to get at. 
100%. Once again, thank you guys so much. I am Brandon Kobe Jacobs. You are listening to the Established 1984 podcast. If you want to get in contact with me, you can hit me up on the email at brandonkobejacobs at gmail.com. You can hit me up on Instagram at brandonkobejacobs. I have Snapchat. Snapchat is at bkjest1984. Once again, thank you to my listeners so much. I appreciate what you're doing. Please like and subscribe. Share from SoundCloud. You can get this on SoundCloud. You can get it on iTunes now. It will be available on all platforms coming up soon, man. But once again, thank you to Patrick Benoit, Roger Ryder, New Blood Entertainment, Watts, LLC, and all of those guys that have contributed, even the people that we didn't name, whether that's Damon Downing, that shout out, whether that's Latoya Goodman, um, you know, James Cassius, uh, Tamar Davis, everybody who has contributed to New Blood Entertainment in one facet or another. We recognize you. We appreciate you. We would not be the people that we are today without you. So thank Thank you guys for everything that you've done. Serious Morgan <laughs> definitely gives a lot of credit. So thank you guys uh, for everything that you've contributed. Once again, you're listening to the Establish 1984 podcast. Take care.